live from the Haymarket Pub and Brewery in downtown Chicago, this is Bug House. century, Washington Square Park was nationally celebrated as an outdoor free speech center where writers and thinkers and mischief makers would gather to debate, not argue, but debate the topics of the day. It was affectionately referred to as Bug House. Bug House is slang for mental health facility, which is slang for nut house, which is slang for your mom's bedroom. Think about it. Think about it. Don't shake your head like that's inappropriate. Come on. You know what? You you know. Hall no. All right. So today there's still a gathering of free speech events organized in Washington Square Park every July. But Washington Square Park ain't what it used to be, and neither is debate. Social media, cable news and the increasing shortening attention span of baby boomers with early onset Alzheimer's, bored Gen Xers, and self-obsessed millennials like Don Hall, as well as event hosts who overgeneralize generational groups, have prevented <laughs> rational, factual discourse from prospering in America. Thank God for literate ape. Because tonight is all about reason. Tonight is all about the dialectic. Three topics, six sides, three winners chosen by one impartial, John, uh, one impartial judge, John Hamm over here. Here's how Bug House is gonna work. We've got three bouts, and uh, one winner is gonna be chosen by the Honorable John. Him and him alone, he and he alone will choose who wins each bout. And the winner has the opportunity to, to get what is a, an envelope right here. They can choose one of these envelopes that is filled with... One of them has a $1 bill, the other will have a $20 bill. So you get a $1 or a $20. Or you can just have Literate buy you a beer, one of Haymarket's delicious beers. So, okay, that's how it works. And you also get, the winners also get, one of these fantastic Literate buttons that I'm sporting on my lapel here. Yeah. Machine made right here in Chicago, Illinois, America. So, very cool. At the end of the evening, though, this is where the audience participation kicks in. We're going to have all the debaters get up here, and the audience gets to choose who the best debater was by round of applause. Okay? All right, so tonight, three very important topics, and the winner of those topics can change the course of history. First, we have, should you judge a book or a person by its cover? And that'll be debated by Dana German, she's saying judge away. And Jenny Thurston, who's saying don't you dare, don't you dare judge. <laughs> then we've got dibs, yay or nay. Frank Lyde will be saying, yeah, do it, man. A mound of rat carcasses and to save your place, do it, that's great. And then Sherry Reed saying no, 
That's not cool, man. And then finally, we've got, should Trump be impeached? And that's between Don Hall and myself. So we'll see how that goes. So first, let's welcome to the stage uh, Dana German and Jenny Thurston. Welcome, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy 2019. You ready for this? Here we go. Here we go. Bughouse compatriots near and far, friends and neighbors of Chicago and beyond, I come to you with an unflattering argument, but necessary. Wordsmithery by the illustrious J.L. Thurston, my dearest opponent, would have you, all of you, embrace naivete and seek to consume your singular life with hyper-jovial rainbow-colored glasses plastered firmly on rejecting the intuition you have so carefully earned as you have made your way into and through adulthood. That's right. Well, let me tell you, I work in retail, and babies, I judge books by their covers all the time. Literally, I would do this, however, and yes, all the time, even if I didn't work at a bookstore. Let me say more about what this means on both counts. One of the more current, loathsome, and idiotically repeated slogans being bandied about the Americanized English language. And yes, we've all heard it. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Okay, maybe it really is too bad that we can't actually apply this phrase to books. Because if we absorb this so-called adage, we would find ourselves gleefully mired in jello-stained jacketless cookbooks and the occasional bloated, bumblingly saccharine romance novel. Really, sure, yeah, I don't know about you, but those are my top choices. Exactly, riveting and all-encompassing, as we know. Genius. Okay, you know who came up with that statement? Someone who doesn't read. It's like whoever came up with the phrase, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Like, never experienced grief or loss. It was like a consummate boomer gym teacher jerk somewhere said that. Anyway, okay. So no, no, I'm sure you, discerning audience, when it comes to reading material, much prefer and appreciate the earnest efforts of diligent copywriters, and well-paid graphic designers to bring you thorough synopses and compelling visuals from cover to cover, even if you aren't reading an actual physical copy of the book you've personally chosen to read. And gosh, I hope that you do read. Please read. Please, it's fun. Please do it. Also, hello, welcome back to January 2019. If you haven't yet committed or you need to recommit to a New Year's resolution, allow me to suggest that you let it be thus, that you might question, reevaluate, or otherwise reject echo chamber statements, that ring of platitudes, half-truths, and sophistry which lead society deeper into its protracted anti-intellectual lull. You, all of you in here, 
are the smartest bunch I know, and we thrive in the possibilities a living language provides us. Give yourselves permission to invent your own phraseology, which best serves you. So, getting deeper into this fuzzy-ass territory here, not only should you more especially judge a book by its cover, be it for literature and art's sake, you should have the opportunity to judge a person by their cover as well. And you should do this for your own time, your safety, your life. In fact, you must do this. Because with your one singular and precious life, in the deeply connected catfish-to-all-hell world we live in now, a cavalier attitude or toward this Cavalier attitude, excuse me, toward this responsibility results invariably in an atrophied self-awareness, a compromised critical thinking set, and a dismissal of educated humanitarianism, and most importantly, an artless existence. <laughs> Recently, my husband, my husband, was asked by someone he just met why my social media presence was so minimal. This strange request echoes back to a choice I made over a decade ago to delete my own Facebook profile because my then partner demanded that I change it to better suit his idea of what it should look like. With the aid of hindsight, I probably should have said something like, I know I'm your baby, but at one point is my business mine and not yours. <laughs> the fact remains, plenty of folks with something to prove will do all the posting for you. Although the platforms are far from perfect, they seem to be the most useful to me, personally, in cases where they promote art. I choose to participate with extreme caution, in part because I actually have a modicum of respect for all this. A lot of talented people put loads of time and effort into it, Mr. Don Hall being a prime example. Alas, I'm also easily overstimulated. I personally have not developed the tools to parse an excess of highly mediated social input from various sources. And I don't think anyone really knows how to do this. Like, especially in the face of online bullies who are truly showing you their cover, showing it and blowing it all the time. These dum-dums and general bad actors who can't seem to stay off their own feeds and yours too. But most importantly, once again, I believe the nature of the internet to be fleeting. Like the ultimate palimpsest. It's impossible to capture everything and we should stop trying. Embracing the power of deletion is key to retaining agency and focus, providing one with permission to impact by discard and to pull a strange 180 with this one, let's embrace for a moment another very different, most unruly and unsanctimonious art. One for which there seems to be very little room for grace, elegance, or a higher aim. One for which the delete key is perfectly suited, the art of the dick pic. Laughable, yes. But I'm hoping you have partaken in the art of soliciting, taking, and sending genuine and interesting dick pics. 
I know I have. Here's an example of one of my favorites. <laughs> Stick Tracy for those of you listening. Oh, and here's another fave. <laughs> Double duty in that one. Woo! Himmel and Shane, BFFs forever. A perfect example, once again, of covers blown. In any case, even growing up in a time where cell phone cameras were not readily available, I cannot say that had I the pleasure of seeing any of my past lovers-to-be penises before becoming involved with them that I would choose to withdraw my affections. Embracing the irony of being on this side of this argument, it's still my choice here to believe that I'm relatively incapable of that level of superficiality. However, it might well have served me to pay closer attention, to see beyond the poor resolution, to the effort being made. A dick pic is a kind of selfie, and most of us know a selfie to be a tool for self-evaluation and sometimes affirmation. You only share your best ones, right? So I know I'm digging a deep hole here, but, uh, I'm not sure I can tie all these ramblings up in a bow for you. All I can say is you have to use your eyes. Treat everything that passes in front of you like a movie you're watching for the first time. Your senses are all there and they're all yours. If they deceive you from time to time, that's okay too. It's all part of the movie and you're allowed to change your mind. Judge, so long as you are all right with being judged in return. If you figure out how to keep yourself from playing slave to your id and speaking your mind too quickly, that helps too, especially at work. That retail job I mentioned, it's a little shop in a diverse neighborhood. I'm alone for my entire shift. The door doesn't have a buzzer, and I see all walks, all ages, all races. Most patrons are well-behaved, and they remember where they are. They choose to respect the space. Others do not. I have some tools to deal with severe emergencies. I have some mental gear to deal with plain old corn-fed American urban dwelling assholes looking for bus change. Some folks earnestly come in and buy a book or two based on looks alone, and I don't bat an eyelash over it. I wish I could say any of them had pleasantly surprised me by showing me an artful dick pic lately. Alas, I'm quitting in a week, so time is short. Time is always short. Observe carefully, my friends, and take care. Thank you. Today I find myself before you here to defend decency, to defend open-mindedness, acceptance, acceptance, love, and basic human compassion. I would like to call to the stand my first witness, Stevie Wonder, who unfortunately could not be with us today due to scheduling conflicts, but Mr. Wonder has permitted me to state his testimony in his stead. Yeah, because you can't judge a book by its cover. My papa used to say, look child, look beyond a tender smile, because you can't judge a look by its lover. Thank you, Mr. Wonder. As children, we may have read Aesop's fables, 
The moral of the story is often appearances are deceiving. There may be a wolf lurking in sheep's clothing. In history, the Trojans taught us to never trust what is on the surface, for there may be something quite surprising within. Even in the workplace, there's at least one photo of an iceberg reminding us that there is more beneath the surface. <laughs> I shall now bring forth evidence to my claim. Let us take the expression, never judge a book by its cover, literally. I will now present to you cover art voted worst cover art of all time from Goodreads. As you will notice, the following ugly covers are from some of literature's greatest works. Interview with the Vampire. Mm, I mean, yeah. <laughs> One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Trust me, leaving these in black and white was a courtesy. Yeah. I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Yeah, this is a book cover, people. <laughs> the Great Gatsby. <sighs> and if book covers are not enough to sway the court, I will prove to you all that the human eye is not infallible, that our perception is weak, and we should let our minds, not our eyes, do the thinking. Take the moon, for example. Even the many phases we see are merely a trick of the light. The moon does not truly wax and wane and disappear. It is always there. We just aren't always able to see it. Here we may see a strange face. Or we may see a girl in a pond by a tree and some bridges. Ladies and gentlemen, let us all agree that there are negative consequences for taking a book by its cover, such as judgment, prejudice, hate, and misunderstanding. Even without the assistance of camera filters and good lighting, makeup can alter quite drastically outward appearances. Here we have a woman faking a nice rack. <laughs> and here we have her father doing the same. <laughs> Look at this little cutie. And look at this beautiful young woman. Be careful, they are both 13. <laughs> Can you guess the age of these two ladies? Your eyes may have deceived you again. They are both 13. If we use our mind, expand our souls, open our hearts, we can see the positive outcomes of never judging a book by its cover. <coughs> Has Hagrid taught us nothing? 
He may seem dirty, uncivilized, trashy, and possibly something of an alcoholic, but when we go deeper, beyond face value, we learn to love the gentle, kind, understanding, and generous character that Hagrid represents. If everyone judged by appearance alone, would this ugly puppy have been adopted into a loving family? <laughs> would this hideous mutt have become the adorable little model he is today? Would this cranocephalic feline have a home and three square meals? Would this little kitten have been spared from drowning? Never judge a book by its cover. Ladies and gentlemen of the court, I believe I have proven beyond a reasonable doubt that it is not wise, nay, it is downright imbecilic to judge a book by its cover. Thank you. All right, so there you go. You've got J.L. Thurston saying, don't judge a book or a person by its cover. And Dana German saying, do it. It's necessary. All right, so the Honorable Judge John Hamm, <coughs> what do you think? This is a tough decision. Think of the kitten. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I'm very happy that I make the best judgments. I make the best judgments. People all over the world are just really happy with my judgment. <laughs> <laughs> this was a tough one, but I like the professor's uh, presentation. What? And I, and I like the uh, professor's... Uh, so you're going, with, you're going with the professor here? Why? So Jenny Thurston yes. is the winner of this debate. You should not judge a book by its cover. There you go. King of Hearts and an Ace of Hearts. All right, there you go. So, Frank, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Mm, I think I'll go second. All right. All right. So, Sherry, you're up first. Let's hear it. Okay, so I've lived here all my life. And I got to tell you, I used to think dibs were cute. I'd take pictures of the chairs. I'd joke about having a tea party in the gutter. I figured dibs were the work of like some guy who got up early to shovel out a spot and needed it to be there after a long day on the job. Or some poor little old lady who couldn't dig herself out. So her nephew or her neighbor cleared a spot for her. Then I lived a little. And I learned some truths about dibs. One truth. Little old ladies don't go out in the snow, okay? They're worried about ice. Ice on the steps, ice on the sidewalk, ice on the curb. They're not gonna go out in the snow. Another truth, some little old ladies might need someone who can park. Imagine, hey, you go to visit your sick aunt who lives at like uh, Barry and Broadway or uh, Division and Bell or something. You're, you're only gonna stay an hour, make sure she gets her meds. Parking's for shit there at night, but usually in the daytime there's a spot. But today, 
some bozo has cleared a space and put lawn chairs in it so you can't park there. Now he left at seven. He won't get home at seven, but you can't use this spot. You move along the street, up the block, down the block, round the block, and you end up muttering a drumbeat. Snowdrift, lawn chair, lawn chair, snowdrift, snowdrift, lawn chair, lawn chair, snowdrift. Till it's past time for your man's medicine, she's dropped dead and you get to go home and plan her funeral. <laughs> but seriously, the cuteness of Dibs is a myth. Like, Resurrection Mary, only stupider. <laughs> some jerks in SUVs who dig out a single spot and save it. They're the same assholes who fire up a monster snowblower at five in the morning, clear out only their little piece of sidewalk, and then laugh about the mountain they make at the lot line. That's just fucked up. <laughs> the truth is that dibs is nothing but a power play. They're about tiny little shards of territory, and the lawn chairs are flags teeny tiny little bits of colonialism. Dibs are another form of every man for himself. Dibs say, I got mine and I'm building a border wall. You and your kids can get screwed. Dibs say, I got here first, so I can clear cut this forest, poison this prairie, run a pipeline under your sacred river, then I can get money and you can get leukemia. <laughs> Dibs say, I want a third boat, and you're sick too much anyway. No health care for you, bub. You know, it doesn't matter, snow or no snow. Dibs are exactly what some of this country has come to be about. In Chicago, Dibs say, I bought my way into selective enrollment. Fuck you, rule followers, and double fuck the neighborhood schools. <laughs> and after that, Dibs say, ha! My rich granddad who robbed the Indians made a pile of dough and gave some to Harvard. Now I've got dibs on admission, and you can't go. Dibs say sorry for all the shooting, but we can't fund the police. We need TIF money for DePaul, for Lincoln Yards. It's might is right, and pay to play, and back the crooked politician because he'll make you rich. Maybe dibs stand for Donald's way is best, suckers. Oof. Maybe it stands for democracy is bullshit. How can anyone hold their head up and say they believe in dibs? Okay, dibs defenders like to claim that dibs are part of Chicago kitsch. But real Chicago guys don't do dibs. Real Chicago guys, if it snows, and if they have a shovel, they keep going until they drop. <laughs> They have a snowblower, they do that whole side of the street. If they start digging out their car or their garage or their alley, they find themselves joined by neighbors who help them dig all the way to the corner. Yeah, you'll find examples of dibs around Chicago, just like you'll find a Trump supporter here or there. You can find anything if you look for it. <laughs> a real Chicagoans don't do dibs. We don't need those stinking dibs. Real Chicagoans don't settle for a parking spot. We own the fucking street. <laughs> the neighborhood, too. Real Chicagoans get together and dig out the whole goddamn block because we know the city's not going to do it. 
And then we hit someone's house for a spiked coffee and go to work blasted and sleep it off till morning. Real Chicagoans are better than dibs. Okay, so now what do we do without dibs? We dig out a parking space, or we dig out two and give a neighbor a break. We feel utterly free to head into another neighborhood and park because we all live here, and snow or no snow, we have a right to go where we damn well please. We notice if someone has not been dug out for ages and ages. <laughs> we notice if they're not around, and we make sure they're okay instead of waiting for the smell to come wafted from their doorway. <laughs> We share these tiny bits of the planet, and thank God we live in a popular place where we bump up against each other now again and find ourselves challenged and get to know our neighbors by working with them side by side. Hell, sometimes we even walk instead of driving. Fuck dibs. If everybody could please rise for a moment. Yes, yes, rise. Yes. Place your hands over your heart and repeat after me. This is my space. There are many like it, but this one is mine. This is my space. There are many like it, but this one is mine. I dug every flake of snow from this space. I dug every flake of snow from this space. With my own two hands through sweat, toil, and tears. My own two hands through sweat, toil, and tears. Thus I claim this space through the sacred right of dibs. Thus I claim this space through the sacred right of dibs. With the sacred right of dibs. Making it my own sovereign territory. Making it my own sovereign territory. In keeping with the ancient ritual of dibs, I mark my territory. Yes, it's long. Okay, I'll... In the keeping with the ancient ritual of dibs, I mark my territory with at least the requisite lawn chair from the patio. With at least the requisite lawn chair from the patio. Be seated. Thank you. Or perhaps the orange flag for my dad for my old banana seat bike, or my dad, the wooden crate for my dad's 70s Playboys. Anyway, what you have just recited, honored guests, is the Dibs Credo. And Dibs, like it or loathe it, is a Chicago tradition that's not going anywhere anytime soon. A tradition I happen to wholeheartedly support. After I've spent close to, clo probably close to an hour of my sweat and toil brushing off and then digging out my car from a foot or more of snow and quite possibly a three foot high snowbank left by a snowplow, you're damn right I'm gonna claim that space is mine and you should too. And not just because of the work involved. In my 10 years in Chicago, almost every time I've dug my car out, the cars parked in front of and behind me have been left untouched. Left, seemingly, and often literally, until the spring thaw. <laughs> Same with half of the other cars on the street. That leaves all those cars in a shit ton of extra snow, taking up that space that would otherwise be at least intermittently free. And that, in my opinion, is 
more than the work itself is why dibs came about in this city. Plus, dibs, in the broader sense, is deeply entrenched in our culture. I mean, who here hasn't called shotgun or dibs the seat on their sofa or everyone's favorite chair in their parents' living room to go grab a drink from the kitchen or run to the bathroom? How about the 19-year-old staking claim to their significant other with a 2 a.m. tattoo? America claiming the moon. Sorry, China. Dibs is a story that has been told time and time again through poetry and music. The great Olivia Newton-John and the late career of John Travolta told us time and time again in their powerhouse ballad, you're the one that I want. Ooh, 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 honey. That's called greaser dibs. Fun fact about dibs, in England in the year 1532, Jonathan Martin Dibbs, an up-and-coming lutist of his day, had his eyes set upon a fair maiden, Esmeralda Coddington. Esmeralda was quite fetching and came from a good family, so she had the attention of a number of potential suitors, many of whom held higher station in society than a humble lutist. So, on the fateful day, as he waited outside her door with a dozen or so other men, waiting to be seen into the house to ask permission to court her, it was Dibs who stepped forward at the moment the door opened by Esmeralda and her chaperone to proclaim, this beautiful maiden will be escorted this fine evening by me and only me for a stroll and dinner upon the river. <laughs> Later when questioned who the man was who would be escorting her, Esmeralda said, tonight I have Dibs. Dibs is mine and I am his. Thus, Dibs truly began. Okay, part or all of that last bit, last bit might be made up, but my point is that Dibs has a long and storied history. And the fact that our fair city has its very own version of Dibs is something we should be proud of. If you still disagree, and your argument is that a Dibs space is free game because it's on a public street, and it's legal, and well within your rights to park there, you're right. It is. But you still shouldn't do it because it's not cool and not courteous to your fellow citizens and human beings. So I've taken the liberty of making a list of other perfectly legal, legal things that you shouldn't do. You should not. Not thank a person who holds a door for you. Not hold a door for someone. Not, you should not not hold a door for someone walking right behind you should not not wave when a person lets you merge. Wear your backpack on a crowded bus or train. Sport one of those tiny mouth-hugging goatees after 1998. Talk during a movie. Talk on your phone while you're at a cash register or in a quiet waiting room. Talk to someone while they're on the phone. Interrupt someone while they're talking. Stick a finger in a cake that isn't yours. The cake or the finger. Pop a zit on the mirror and not clean the mirror. <laughs> Flip your nails in public. Cough or sneeze without covering your mouth. Chew with your mouth open. If you're a man, pee in the toilet without lifting the lid or leaving the toilet seat up. Fart in an elevator. Roll over and go to sleep after sex. Not reciprocate oral sex. Not at least attempt to reciprocate an orgasm. Have sex with a blow-up doll that looks exactly like your sister. <laughs> Have a blow-up doll made that looks exactly like your sister's. In some states, marry your cousin. 
In many of those same states, open carry a loaded assault rifle. Collude with Russia to influence a political election. You know, because collusion isn't illegal. Oh, and most importantly, not tip your bar and wait staff at least 15%. Really, what this all boils down to is, don't be an asshole. If someone digs out that space, it's theirs. For 48 hours anyway. Beyond that, I think any reasonable-minded person agrees, it's fair game. That is until we finally achieve that beautiful utopia where, after a major snow, everyone as a community digs out their own car or helps each other out, and in doing so, clears the whole street. Until that day comes, or is mandated by law, Dibs has to stand. If you still disagree, that is your right. But if you park in a dibs space and then come back to find that all the previously dug out snow has now found its way back and buried your car, I expect you will simply shrug, knowing that it was perfectly legal to do so and well within the rights of the person who dug out all that snow in the first place. And if that does happen to you, that person is likely to be me. <coughs> Anyway, this is all irrelevant because you all recited the Dibs Credo at the beginning of this, it was witnessed, and you are legally bound by it. <laughs> I call Dibs on David Himmel buying my next beer. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so you heard it. We're going to give the Honorable Judge a moment to think about it. You ready? Got your decision? Sir, I really liked your smooth presentation. But I'll tell you where you lost it. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Front row. First sentence. What it reminded me of was something I had to recite many years ago in a certain time in my life that went like this. This is my right. There are many like it, but this one is mine. You lost it right there. But I really did like your storytelling, and I really did like when you very cleverly kind of superimpose a kind of fake sacredness onto this notion of <laughs> But I'm afraid uh, my decision does not go toward you. Sherry made it. I, I, I liked the elements of your friend's speech. I like the way you reveal the underlying evil of gifts. The transcendent good of those of us who are real Chicagoans and are bitter. Here's the winner. That was a hell of a ruling, though. Know? I mean, that was well thought out. I got, I mean, let's give a round of applause for our judge. I mean, I, judge John, man, that was. Speech to liberal activists at a bar just like this one near the Capitol on Thursday night. Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan said the unthinkable, according to the GOP, obvious, and senior Democrats, not a shock. She said, quote, people love you and you win, Ms. Tlaib told the crowd, and when your son looks at you and says, mama, look, you won, bullies don't win, and I said, baby, they don't because we're gonna go in there and we're gonna impeach the motherfucker. Yeah. The aforementioned motherfucker responded via Twitter, quote, 
How do you impeach a president who has won perhaps the greatest election of all time? <laughs> Done nothing wrong, no collusion with Russia, it was the Dems that colluded, had the most successful first two years of any president, and is the most popular Republican in party history, 93%? Question mark. On October 2nd of last year, Mr. Himmel and I debated our first bug house ever, and the topic was impeaching Trump, should we or shouldn't we? I argued that we should not impeach him based on the idea that the devil we knew, Trump, was better than the homophobic, religiously intolerant fuckface we didn't, Pence. I invoked the tale of the monkey's paw and the concept of being cautious with what you wish for because it may contain razor-sharp teeth. David argued, well, he argued that Trump was an asshole out to kill him, and David wasn't even fucking here on the stage. He sent in a videotape. He recorded a fucking video with a lame argument, and he still won. Such is the hyperbolic hatred we have of this motherfucker. Now, January 20th, 2019 marks the end of Trump's first half of his so far elected presidency, and he was not impeached. So how'd we fare? Now, there are the most hysterical among us to cry out that he has destroyed democracy, destroyed the economy, committed treason. None of these is true. Democracy was already just a dream we have yet to achieve considering 100 million people simply don't vote in any election. The economy, depending on which metric you use, is still doing all right. And we aren't at war with any countries right now, so treason isn't possible. Treason only exists when you collude with someone we are at war with. That's the law. There has been no new war. No major terrorist attack, no economic crash, at least not yet, which is the soft bigotry of low expectations. <laughs> Trump presides over a strong economy with unemployment at its lowest rate for a half century, though Democrats argue that he is building on Obama's foundations and war of a spiraling national debt. He passed sweeping tax reform in what critics say was a giveaway to the super rich at the expense of working families. He slashed regulations with little heed for the environment, and he denies the science of climate change. He appointed Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, and many more conservative judges to the lower courts, delighting his base but infuriating millions of women and men after allegations of sexual assault against Kavanaugh were brushed aside. He has failed to build the wall, he promised on the Mexican border, but enforced an anti-immigration policy that separated children from their parents. Overseas, Trump has cozied up to dictators and alienated our longtime allies. He's pulled out of the climate accord. He pulled out of the Iran deal. His cabinet's done more damage, but most of it's reversible with a bit of time and a few decent humans in charge of the EPA, the FCC, the Department of Education and Defense and State and Health. Now, these facts should reassure us that the structure put in place long before Trump, those essential checks and balances will keep us safe from any lasting damage the man can create. That the American people are not so easily distracted by the internet and a stream of vomitous lies yet unto for unseen by mankind. I am not reassured.
I'm not reassured because I watched a pre-Christmas hysteria about both the greeting on Starbucks cups a few years ago and the lyrics of a 70-year-old Christmas song this year. We are easily distracted from important things which plays fully into Trump's strength. Let's be frank. The Senate, as long as it is in the hands of the GOP, will never convict Trump. We all know this. The fact that we have a democratically controlled House of Representatives should not give us a sense that we are winning, just a sense that we're finally back on the playing field. Alexandria can dance her progressive ass off, but the GOP is still calling the tunes. So, what do we do? The Democrats are in white. <laughs> the clock is down to the last, like, 18 seconds. And the Democrats are just keeping the ball, just tossing that fucking ball. Just toss it to another guy. Fuck off, black guys. Not black guys, guys in black. <laughs> Throw the ball. There you go, toss it to somebody else. Keep running. We don't care if, okay. And then, wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. What? Oh my God, that's it. It's open and, and there you go. That really happened, you saw it on video. Run the clock out on this fuckwad. Play his game better than him. Not the insults or the tweets themselves. He owns that. What Trump is, is a master of distraction. While we're all freaking out about his latest insane stream of barely conscious trolling, McConnell and Sons are doing their goddamnedest to roll back Medicare and Social Security and the environment and fucking everything else. Distract him. Impeach him. Impeach him for obstructing justice by firing Comey. When that fails, and it will, impeach him for sedition and colluding with a foreign government. When Gorsuch and Kavanaugh deny us that, impeach him for being a fat fuck with bad hair. Impeach him for being openly lustful for his daughter. Impeach him for trying to kill Himmel. Who gives a shit what you impeach him for? Impeach him anyway. Toss the ball back and forth. Keep it moving forward and in play. Maybe we get the open field, maybe not. As long as the clock runs out. Complete with investigations, it took just over a year to impeach Bill Clinton. With Trump preoccupied with being impeached over and over again, he won't have time to do any more harm. Put him in a state of constant and unending defense, and he won't be able to take possession of the ball. Distract him from the rest of us, and we may just make it out of this. Run the clock out, and we might make it out with some of the China still unbroken and the country intact, except for Flint, Michigan. That place is fucked forever, but that was on Obama's watch, so we don't care as much. Thank you. Don Hall, ladies and gentlemen, not a bad argument. Thank you. <laughs> now I recognize that I'm fighting an uphill battle because we want Trump gone. You know, all of us do. I, I want him gone too. Heart attack. Yes, 
heart attack. But here's the thing about the heart attack, real quickly, and this doesn't go to my time. This is me being the no, host right now. Time. No, you're talking at your time. The heart attack needs to happen. He needs to go in the hospital. And then he needs to have another like massive heart attack that actually kills him. He needs to survive the first one. He's like, I'm invincible. But then, nope. Your time done. has started. All right, so here we go. Your time has started. All right. Um, should I look like right directly down the lens? Is this porn? I, okay. All right. In a, recent, in a recent New York Times piece entitled The People versus Donald Trump, opinion columnist David Leonhard writes, the unrelenting chaos that Trump creates can sometimes obscure the big picture. But the big picture is simple. The United States has never had a president as demonstrably unfit for the office as Trump. And it's becoming clear that 2019 is likely to be dominated by a single question. What are we going to do about it? Now, Leonhardt goes on to make the case that impeachment of our 45th president is a must if the nation and potentially the world are to survive. But Leonhard, like my esteemed co-editor and friend Don Hall, thinks the big picture is smaller than it actually is. Donald Trump is a problem. He's a stain on American diplomacy and the office of the president. The guy has always been a wanker, a creep, a con man, a dumb daddy's boy and a racist cock nozzle. Nothing in the last decade changed that, nothing. And he should not be president of the United States, but impeachment will be a divisive waste of time. <laughs> Certainly, the House of Representatives could impeach him, but to get him out of office is going to require the Senate to pull the proverbial trigger. And that's not going to happen. The Senate is still held by a majority of Republicans, and chances are that they'll squash the impeachment idea immediately, and that would be the end of that. Now, they could recognize their mistake in allowing Trump to take over their party and admit he's a dangerous fool and initiate the impeachment proceedings. But even that won't remove the guy from power. It will only draw things out over the next two years. It will be a distraction. And we don't need any more distractions during this presidency. We, and by we, I mean the legislative branch and the few remaining humans in the executive branch, we need to get to work. Let's look at what the Trump presidency will look like if impeachment proceedings commence. Barron and Tiffany's dad, you guys remember Barron and Tiffany? They're the unwanted children. Okay, so Barron and Tiffany's dad, Donald Trump, will be pissed. Like, really, really pissed. We've seen a, we've seen a pissed off Trump. And a pissed off Trump makes a lot more trouble for everyone. He goes from stupid and spazzy to super stupid and spazzy. The tweets get more insulting and accusatory. The lies get more outrageous. The vengeance on his enemies get more intense. Everything becomes more careless than it is on his best days, which is pretty fucking bad. He'll alienate those few remaining humans keeping the presidency and a big chunk of, Ameri of American democracy afloat. Essentially, if the House impeaches Donald Trump, it'll be handing him a huge cannon which he'll use to blow a hole in the ship while trying to fire at Pelosi and Schumer and maybe even you and me. In this time, he'll either align himself closer with Putin and Kim Jong-un or piss them off so bad that North Korea starts dropping the bombs 
and Russia invades everything from our government to our underwear drawers. It will be total chaos. This kind of chaos may prevent Trump from incarcerating more immigrant kids, but it could also mean there's certain death because of nuclear war. No matter what happens from now until the day Donald Trump dies, don't cheer for that good, because that's like the federal crime. Yeah. So no matter what happens from now until the day Donald Trump, Donald Trump dies, he will blame others for his failures and pick fights that don't need to be picked. If he's facing removal from office, instead of just differences of opinion over border security and budgets, he'll erupt like a toddler whose candy was yanked from his hand and a flaming steak knife was plunged into its rectum. That's the kind of fit we'll see. Now we've probably all seen toddlers lose their shit when you take away candy or a toy or something they want, but have you ever seen a toddler get their toy taken away and then a flaming steak knife shoved up their ass? That's the kind of shit we'll see with Donald Trump. It's really, really bad. And I've got a kid at home. I know it. I'm not saying I put a flaming steak knife up, but you get okay. Furthermore, we're not just facing Trump's wrath or, the Democratic, tr or the, the Democratic trouble it will incite. We have to be mindful of the diehard Trump supporters. We have to remember who elected him. They, like our commander-in-chief, are petulant rubes who will follow Trump's antagonistic, ill-informed distraction bravado and behavior, which ignites equal amounts of clapping back from the strident left. And this muddles the waters and is, well, exactly the kind of distraction Trump and his ilk need in order to maintain their teeny grasp of power, or at least their grasp on the keys to the Oval Office. They'll blame all of Trump's failures on the quote-unquote attack on the president. Impeachment proceedings will give Trump and company the scapegoat they need to fail without feeling like failures. Trump will become a martyr. That will only embolden the MAGA masses. And that is a terrible thing for the future of our country. Presidents come and go, but the people are long-lasting. What we're experiencing today in Trump's America and by the far-right conservative Republican Party, that was put into motion in 1964 with Barry Goldwater's campaign. It was kicked into gear during Reagan's 80s and dolloped with whipped cream and a cherry thanks to W's administration. When you get dick cancer, you need to kill the cancer itself, not, not haphazardly slice your own dong off. Impeaching Trump would be cutting off our diseased dick. And I guarantee you that cancer will come for our balls and our man boobs eventually. No, it's... Yeah, sit with that for a second. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's like Don Hall said. Let's look at what can happen if the House chooses to run the clock out. But let's look at that clock running out in a different way. What is something happening? Why are you guys laughing? It's like, are my nuts hanging out? Like, what's going on? All right. <clears throat> so let's look at that clock running out, but from a different perspective. Trump will continue, to, will continue being an ineffective bonehead, stirring up shit, making a mess of things, but it's a mess we can clean up, for the most part. With the House and the Senate charged with governing and keeping Trump in line in a diplomatic way, 
All accusations of an attack will be without the right amount of fuel to set any real fires. They'll sound just as ridiculous as when anyone talks about Hillary's emails today. More importantly, with the Democrats focused on actually governing and legislating, they'll have more time to adapt to the changes occurring in the party. Differences can be reconciled, or at least understood. This allows the Democratic Party to become united. And a united party is the only way Trump and the far right can be, can be beaten fair and square in 2020. A statement needs to be made for history to recognize down the line. Donald Trump and the far right was defeated by American democracy at its best. Without impeachment proceedings, and with, the, and with Trump still showing his ass at every opportunity, the GOP remaining in Congress will be able to quietly move toward the center. So too will the strident left. The parties will recognize that working together can save this country and their individual political careers. So everybody wins. The Founding Fathers wrote Article 1, Sections 2 and 3, and Clauses 5 and 6 for a reason. Some people would make it, some people would make it to the top office who revealed themselves unfit for that office. Nixon was one. Trump is certainly unfit for the office. But the difference is that Nixon was at least a measured criminal. Trump is a lunatic. He cannot be dealt with in the same way as Nixon. Trump's weaponry is not power from within, like Nixon. Trump's power comes from the feedback he gets from throwing vitriol at his enemies. We cannot allow him to do that. Impeachment proceedings will give him more enemies. Obvious targets. Impeaching Donald Trump is exactly the thing that will make him more dangerous. Do not impeach Trump. Vote him out. Thank you. I looked up on my phone, and the Founding Fathers actually do have a diseased penis clause. It's, it's good. Yeah. It's good, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of a history nerd. That He's way. that way. He, he yeah. does the deep research. Yeah. All right, Your Honor. I know, he was scribbling some things down. He's thinking. I want to congratulate both of you. Strong brief. But I have to tell you, Mr. Hiller, um, I thought you were voting for I thought you were arguing for impeachment. Mm-hmm. Me too. So what are we arguing about? See, I thought his argument was exactly my argument, except at the end he said, don't impeach him. Same argument. Yeah. Don't impeach him. Vote him out. Impeach That's him. the argument. Impeach him. Because don't 100 million him. people don't vote, so who's going to vote him out? So nobody's arguing for impeachment. No, I've, I've argued to impeach him over and over and over well, but that's about anything, it. anything, tying his shoe, impeach him. By not impeaching him, we can get together and vote him out better. Like, well, we have two years to get our shit together. So apparently I did not make improve. a very good case because he did not hear me say impeach him. Hey, impeach the guy said it. Over and the over guy and over. said it. He just that's, said no, it. No, that's, that's fair. He, he just said he did not make a good case. My bad. I still think that both of you are very close in your arguments, but... But this doesn't count as the argument. No, I'm just saying, hey, 
I mean, if you didn't get that I was arguing to impeach him, then he should win, because I did not persuade you. I did not make my case. And we're going to edit this podcast and just have Don say... I'm just being... Hey, I'm being fair. I'm being fair. If you didn't understand that I was saying impeach him multiple times, then he should win, because I did not yeah, argue very well. I thought you were well. saying run out the clock, wait till, wait till 2020. No, keep impeaching him and run out the clock, but that's... I, I blew it. It just sounds like a bad argument, doesn't it? No. <laughs> I mean, no, no. In so many words, you said it. No, you, you made my argument and just changed the words and said, impeach, don't impeach him. It's the same argument. Run Sounds out like good debate, doesn't no, it? No, no. All right, well, let's see what the judge has to say. At some point, we've got to have a decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present my misbegotten judgment, but then I, I'm going to defer to somebody really wise like uh, David Barrett. Uh-oh. Oh. Oh. This is, now, this has never happened. This has in never Bug happened history. in Bug House history, so. All right. Now, on the false assumption that you were arguing against the people. Run the clock out. How much more? How much more? Run the clock out until uh, uh, the game is over. And my question was. I wonder if Mr. Heller will answer this question that he's leaving the door open to us. How much more of how much more of Trump can the country take? Can we take two more years of Trump? Am I supposed to actually answer that? He's asking. You know, make your argument, jackass. And you did. This is a in first. Your, in your, Thank you. Oh, fine. Thank you. Uh, Don, you also said uh, with all with all the accusations coming in, he won't be able to do so much damage. <coughs> And we've had shutdowns before, and there's not a lot of damage, John. But he's not going to. He's not a lot of damage. We're day 27. TSA people are calling in sick and not getting damage, paid. But it's That's not damage. a lot of he's damage. Hurting families. All reversible. And American families, not even immigrant families. All, <laughs> all right. Mike, I really liked your presentation. And I didn't know there was that. <laughs> am I Mike or is he? I know he's Hiller, but am I Mike? I don't know what's going on. I, no, it's okay. I'd rather just. And I'm still waiting. Just for the record, if you guys, if you guys can hear. It, coming in here. I don't the, the Honorable Judge John Hamm has been referring to me as, as Hiller, but that's okay. Hiller, Last name is Hill. Am I Mike? You wound up with the argument. Don't impeach Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Which that was what would make sense in a single world, in a single United States, without a single president. Call the question. Even Richard Nixon was not this direction. Right. Um, you kind of did yourself in. I mean, the, the winner is. This is like the best couples therapy I've I'm ever been in. <laughs> yeah, John, you need to come on our podcast and just listen Seriously, to us talk. Seriously, <laughs> you're Hiller and I'm Mike. It's yeah. So who won? Who won? Who are you giving it to, John? Is it Mike or Hiller? Who won? I can only take photos for so long. Here, I want. I do. Who won? Who won? David Barish, who won? If I can just, if I, if I can just shine a light on the stakes for just one second. 
There's no stakes. Well, no, there are stakes because like the money or the the litter date pin and the the we growler all this shit anyway. Like we're not getting that. There's this no is, stakes. So and. and Donald Trump doesn't actually leave office if one of us None will, of you know, like, So this is just for... It's for nothing. It's honor. Yeah. You know, Not even honor. This is for All right. All right. David Barish, what do you think? I give, I give, oh. I give it to I give it to To who? To Mike Hiller. Mike what? Mike Hiller? I'm Mike Hiller? Based on my false assumption. Based on that I did not, that I did not communicate clearly that I was... Mike Hiller! 